Well, it's so nice to be here with you all. Beck and I have missed you guys so much. Down in the Galut. In the Galut, you've heard the Galut. It's where the Jews that opened in Israel that live out in the, you know, amongst the Gentiles, we call it the Galut. And we've been living down in the armpit of Melbourne, Frankston. And, uh, and uh, you know, God's things are heating up. Sweaty, it's messy, but and smelly. But it's great. God's doing good things. Amen. It's good to come up to the mountain of the Lord up here. You know, once in a while, smell the fresh air and Thomas Land flowing with wine, the coffee. No, it's really, really good. And we really miss you guys. And I tell you what, we really treasure what you have here because it's very special. And it's really unique. And whatever you, this is such a, you know, what God is doing here. Whatever you cho- choose to sow into is what you will reap. I really believe that. But you choose, you know, pastors and leaders to try to cultivate things. But really, a community is cultivated by its, by the body. So what you choose to, how you choose to protect it, pursue it, grow it, give to it, will, will manifest into the future and has the capacity to really transform this region. Amen. And um, and so we are jealous of you guys for what you have, but we're also so blessed to be here. So yeah, my name is Jaleel, my wife. If you haven't met my wife, Rebecca, she is the better half. She's amazing, get to know her. Um, my beautiful kids, Adiel, uh, 11, Michaela, 9, and Judah, the sweet little Judah. He's hard to miss. You'll see a little man running around in the room. Uh, we're doing well. Uh, we've been seeing God do awesome things in Frankston. And um, some of you know, I run a ministry called Street Peace. And uh, it's very, very exciting. I believe what God's going to do in this coming generation. What the, what the enemy's plan for evil, God is going to radically bring it around and turn it for his good. And I've been thinking about, like, what revival would look like that would like really um, spur the church on, challenge the church, destroy religious mindsets. And I reckon if we had a whole lot of like uneducated, gangster smelling youth on fire for Jesus, you know, operating the gifts of the Spirit, you know, out on the streets, encountering people, that would challenge the body as a whole, wouldn't it? Um, and, and we can see that in the life of Jesus, you know? Look at these uneducated men. They carry so much wisdom, but we know, we know they're Nazarenes, but we know one thing, they're being with Jesus. Amen? And may we be a people that are known by the fact that we live and function and abide in the presence of God. Dan, that was an awesome activation. Who, I got ministered to by that. That was really, really good. I used to do that. This is good. Reminder, and that's why these activations are so powerful, I'm guessing, is that you carry these into your week, carry them into your everyday life, take time, the spirit to do it. Amen. So you guys have been going through what are you calling it? The Kingdom School of Life. School of Life. Now we've had like yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of names for it, but you're calling it the School of Life. It's awesome. Hey, Jesus the way. He said, I am the way, I am the truth. And I am the life. And in this season, right now, right now in our country and in the world, there's an amazing opportunity for us to align ourselves with the way, the truth, and the life. Because there's a lot of sliding it away. There's a lot of erosion taking place in our society. There's a lot of slippage taking place. But we've laid hold of things in faith, and we put our faith in different things, from economics, to politics, to our freedoms, to ways of life. And there's slippage taking place right now in this world. And Jesus says, in this world, He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, He is the anchor to our soul. Amen. He is the unshakable foundation. Amen. He says that if you build your life upon my word, it is like a man who builds his life upon the rock. And he says when the flood 
when the, the floods arise and they sweep against the foundations of your life, guess what happens? You don't fall down and crumble, it exposes the foundation of what you live. And so we know that trials and tribulations and difficult times actually have the capacity to reveal the gospel on which we place, like, built our lives upon. And if there is slippage in our life, the problem isn't the water, the problem is where we've laid our foundations. And I want to tell you that a lot of people are having slippage in their life right now, if you know what I mean by that word, things are slipping and the frustration is getting thrown back into the issue of the water or it's this situation and we're trying to push against the torrent instead of learning to build our foundation on the rock that is unshakable and the church that is, is the church that will prevail and the gates of hell will not stand against it. That's the gospel that we live in. And so, you know, I've just been breathing, feeling about this and, and I'm speaking out of my own experience because there are things that are disturbing, things that I've been worried about. I'm sure that there's a lot of different people who are worried about a whole lot of different things. But Jesus says, He's the way, He's the truth and the life. And so today, we're going to look at this simple truth. Jesus is the truth about God. Jesus is the truth about God. Could you imagine? Let's, um, you know, your Bibles, everyone's got the word in front of them. Yeah, we're going to be looking at that today. Growing up, growing up in a charismatic church, um, I threw a lot of weight and I loved it. Well, who loves the Holy Spirit? Amen. Who loves the reamer of God? You know, hearing the voice of God speak to you personally. Who knows that that is so important? Amen. Amen. Yeah, we need the reamer of God. I lived in a church that had prophetic words every week. People would get up and prophesy every week. But who also knows that there can be a prophetic culture where if you don't know who you are, you start to desperately seek those words because it proves your identity. You go to that conference and you're like, man, I really hope that person gives you a prophetic word because like, I want to know if I'm valuable to God. Anyone been in that place? Let's just be honest here, yeah? It's like, oh my goodness, if only Bill would look at me and call me out, right? Yeah? Funny when I rock up here, if Liam just called out my name, and then I would know that God actually loves me, and who knows that that is unhealthy, that's an unhealthy walk, an unhealthy experience to live in, because if my, imagine my kids were like that, and I needed to walk into my door every day, and assure my children that I loved them. And I was so unsure about my love until I said that to them and they went into the next one and the next one and the next one. And I tell my kids that I love them. But that should be affirmed by what they know about me. It should be affirmed by the way that they've experienced me. And so that's why the Word of God has been written for us. Because when we put this into our lives, the reamer of God affirms what we already know and it builds upon it. It becomes, you know, Jesus has become an anchor to our soul. And so, growing up in church, I grew up, I gave my life to the Lord as a three-year-old. I got baptized when I was seven or eight. Had an encounter with the Lord when I was 13. The Holy Spirit started to speak to me. And God has been so faithful to me that I've never walked away. I just love, I've lived with the Lord, I've lived with the presence and the knowledge of His voice since I was 12. But it wasn't until I was 32 years old, I think it was 32 years old, that I actually knew who I was and who He was. I was always questioning, maybe this was a God, or maybe what, when things went bad, I wasn't sure if it was God judging me. I wasn't sure if it was me having a problem, wasn't sure if it was the world. It was very hard to read the situation. And I've grown up in a world where if we didn't see God break through, people would say things like, well, it's probably God's will, you know, that this happened to you, you know. God's taken this person to a better place, you know. Um, oh, 
Maybe there's sin in your life, that's why this has happened to you, right? Your problem, you know, there's so much ambiguity, is that right? Ambiguity around who the Father was. And I was really, I found it really difficult. Has anyone been in that place? It's like, whoa. And I want to tell you, that's actually not that difficult. Who's, uh, who knows how to find north? Who's good with like directions? About half, about half the population is generally like good with direction. The other half is absolutely hopeless. In my family, it's my wife is really good with direction, and I'm lost without like maps. Like I'll just go round and round in circles. Yeah. So, so who knows like who knows how to find north if you're just like walking around. Find the true north. How do you do it, Sam? Yeah, it's just like up there, middle of the day, north is somewhere around there. Where's my shadow? I guess that's, you know, west or east. So you try to point it in that direction. Yeah, or you look at the mountains, you're like, oh, that's the rain falls more from the west on this side. That must be west, and, you know, and you can look at constellations, right? And what we find is that is often how this book here is being written by people who have had encounters with God that are trying to find the true north of God. Does that make sense? The absolute north of God. Let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We're looking for the exact north. What would you do? Someone said they pull out a do you have one on your, who has an iPhone? Yeah? So there's like an actual app, yeah? How cool is that? And when you line it up, it's not sort of 27 degrees out, it's not 12, it's like, who knows if this is exact, but that's north right in that corner there. You thought it was over here, exactly. Who thought it was a bit in that direction? Should have done it. That would have been funny if everyone had to choose north. Who wants to everyone get up? Choose west quickly, yeah? Face in the direction of west. West. Yeah, what do you think? West is in that. <laughs> Some of you are looking at everyone else and just like looking around. West. West is right there, in that direction. It's not bad, right? Some of you got it better than others. Yeah. <laughs> that was my Christian experience. People basically, oh no, I think this is God. This is God. Oh, the Father's more like this. Oh no, I think, you know, we look, looks through Exodus. God is really like this, you know. Like the tsunami came through, and that was the judgment of God, right? Others are like, oh, I don't think God's like that. Look at this, you know, there's no curses anymore. And, you know, there's this shifting that takes place in our theology. And who knows that the way you see God is the way that you approach Him. Right? If you're not sure about who He is, then you can't come to Him in full assurance of full confidence. And that was me. And guess what? If you don't know who God is, Who's trying to fool you into who he is? So it's not just this world, but there's the enemy, and what does he do? He's the deceiver, and so what does he do? He only attacks the truth. So if you don't know where true north is, not only are you going to be, you know, by your lack of experience, going to be swayed to and fro, but there's an enemy that's trying to tell you that north is a bit off this way, or a bit off this way. Right? So Hebrews 1, let's read it together. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So many times, and in many ways. How did he speak to the prophets? Do you know that Moses was a prophet? So all the writers of the Bible were considered prophets. So Moses had an encounter with God through what? burning bush, Jacob 
How did he encounter God? Through a dream. Abraham, how did he encounter God? In the flesh. God spoke to him directly. Um, he had angels turn up, right? So God spoke in many different ways through the prophets. And that, can you imagine, you, this, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of early believers, the Jewish believers. So what have they got? They've got their Tanakh. Do you know what the Tanakh is? The, the Torah, the writing, the Katadin, the writings, the Nebian, the prophets. So they've got the Tanakh, and he's writing to them and said, Hey, these writings that God's given us, he's spoken to us, he's spoken to us as a people through the prophets. Right? And he's done this in various ways. But in these last days, in what last days? How long ago was that? Who thought he was in the last days? Guess what? We are in the last days. Since the time of Jesus, we've been in the last days. Yeah? We might be in the last of the last, last days. Put a few on there, but from the beginning of Yeshua dying, that's the last period, the last days, until his return. So from this, in this last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Wow. God's been speaking through people, but now he sent his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Well, so he, this is not just an ordinary son, this isn't like a son of man like David. This is the one who has all authority. God's entrusted him and appointed him over the entire universe including in this world that we live in. He's appointed him, so he's like validating this son. Wow! This isn't just a prophet. This isn't just someone from the past. This is not Paul. This is not your pastor. This is not a good man. Someone that we look up to is actually his son. He's, he's lifted, he's saying, guys, it's been great, but look who he's, God has finally spoken to us through. His son, Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 3, He is the radiance. He knows what radiance means. Right? You stand outside in the sun, what you experience, we're going to Darwin on Monday, it's 30 degrees up there, I'm going to experience a bit more radiance of the sun than down here, aren't I? You stand outside, what do you feel? The radiance. What is it? It's the very, it's the experiential encounter of God on earth. Does that make sense? So you've got the sun and it radiates out of it that the light waves, the heat, that's Jesus. That's the essence of God. The force of God. So he says he is the radiance of the glory of God. Everything that Jesus did in his 33 years of ministry, his three years of ministry, through those last three years, that was the radiance of God's glory. Do you understand that? If the pure glory of God could be revealed, it looks like Jesus on earth. Isn't that cool? Wow. You know, I remember sitting um, on a bus witnessing to two young people, and I was sharing something, and I said, you know, I want to tell you that God loves you. And they said, well, that's nice. But which God? Like, how do we know God, you know? I said, well, we know God now because He revealed Himself to us. We actually know what His nature is like because He manifested it on earth. Right? Who knows that David's life was not a manifestation of the radiance of God on earth? It wasn't a manifestation of God's full glory. Was He obedient to God? Absolutely. Was it pointing us towards the north of heaven? The North of Father? Absolutely. But was it the radiance of the glory of God? Was Job's life the radiance of the glory of God? No, God has spoken to us through the prophets. But then read Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, but now we have the Son. Does this make sense? Now we have 
the true north. We don't need to go, well, maybe it's in this direction. Well, according to the shadows of what we've experienced in the past, it's like, no, we have a compass now. You can align yourself, and you can look at it, and we can get bang on what the actual radiance of the glory looks like, and it looks like Jesus. Is that good? That's why Jesus called people to follow Him. Do you know there were many rabbis in the time of Jesus? In fact, John the Baptist's disciples, some of them left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. Yeah? You know, they say they knew the disciples of the rabbis because the disciples would have this term that he could be covered in his dust. And the difference between a disciple and a between a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus was that followers would follow at a distance that they felt comfortable, up to a place where they felt comfortable. But a disciple forsook all and took up his rabbi's lifestyle. If his rabbi lived, guess what? The disciples would live. The way the rabbi prayed was the way that they prayed. Teach us to pray. Why is this so important? Why are we called little Christians? Why are we called disciples of Jesus? It's because we have found a true north that's beyond the book of Job, that's beyond the life of David, that's beyond King Solomon, right? I'm not saying that, I'm not discounting the Word of God, I'm saying we've, the Word of God has pointed to this one true compass that when the compass came, you can go, wow, okay, now I can see clearly. And I said to this young couple, Jesus is the life of God on earth. God is not a mystery anymore. Oh, there's, you know, there's things that we're growing in, we're growing, but the actual nature of God has been revealed through the person of Christ. This is a powerful message if you choose to allow it to impact your heart. And what happens is when you do, when I allow this stuff to impact my heart, I had to start to repent because I'd allowed these things to get in the way that the devil had twisted through my life and I'd attributed them to God, right? Instead of seeing them through the lens of Christ and saying, is that the nature of Christ? Do I see Christ acting this way? And saying, oh yes, yeah, okay, that was a God. Oh no. No, Christ was here, this is what he wanted. This wasn't his nature. And let those things go aside. Even, and not allow my experience to dictate the way God truly lives. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reveal to us the Father. It's powerful. That's why we choose, that's why we're called not little Apostle Pauls, Right? We're not the Pelagians, or whatever you want to call them, the Shalodians, or, you know, we're not disciples of Peter. We're not going to become little Liams. Right? We're not even going to take on to become little John the Baptist of today. John the Baptist was awesome, but he was of the Old Covenant. A lot of people pull his life out to say, hey, well, we should be doing again. John the Baptist called out Herod. Well, he did, but we're called to follow the life of Christ. That, I mean, that's what we've given ourselves up for, right? And you know, sometimes it is so much easier, I find, for us to try to follow people still because Christ's life challenges us so much. And we've attributed God to these people. So we can be like this, we can be like this, because these people did it. You know, so I'm going to live a bit more like that. You know, look, King David had multiple wives, so, you know, God doesn't have a problem with polygamy, you know. We saw, yeah, I'm just saying, like, this. You can, you, I've heard people talk like this, right? Noah drank, he got drunk, you know, God still loved him. Yeah, but we're not little Noahs. We're not little Noahites. We're Christians. We're. We're messianics. We're, we've aligned ourselves with the way, the truth and the life. Why? Because he reflects the true nature of God himself. 
And so he says, he's the radiance of the glory of God. And get this, if you could cast God, you could get a mold of God. But actually took place. It says he is the exact imprint of his nature. And he calls this out, he's not making it vague. Because the Hebrews want to know they've been living off the writings of the prophets, right? It's what shaped the Pharisaic movement. You've got some major movements of the day. You've got the Pharisees, you've got the Herodians, you've got the Sadducees, you've got the Essenes, you've got the Zealots, right? Was that five, six major movements, and then you've got one more movement that was established in the time of Yeshua, and that's the Messianics, or the followers of the way. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews and saying, okay, all these different movements, we're trying to find out the nature of God, write a theology around it, and then call people to observe it. That's why they had rabbis. And they're calling disciples and going, this is what God's like, this is what it looks like to follow God in this time and age. And then one rabbi, a Nazarene, rocked up became the most famous rabbi of all the world. Still followed by thousands, millions of people today, called Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And it says he, he's the exact imprint of his nature. I'm sorry to say, if you based your life on anyone else, then you haven't based your life, and he hasn't set the standard on the exact imprint of the nature of God. It's challenging. I found this challenging as a Jew. I'm Jewish by background, you know, Greek. I love the Tanakh, I love the Torah, but I've allowed, I've read those things outside the lens of Jesus, right? And then attributed some of just words that were spoken through prophets to the true nature of God in my life over those first 20 odd years walking with the Lord and I hadn't seen those those laws through the lens of Christ and in fact a lot of theology if you go back to it a lot of theology written by amazing theologians has actually been written without pulling it up against the person of Christ and going, whoa, that's true, but that's a good offer. I remember going to university. Here's a, here's a key one. I went to university and I got involved in a union movement there, a Christian union movement, and they loved, you know, it was a test to me, but I got along every week to their Bible studies, and they were great. Loved it. I remember sitting down with them one day. Me and my mate were all from like Pentecostal sort of Pentecostal churches. And they sat down and said, We've got a great topic for you because they were massive on predestination. I was like, Oh, yeah, like, I'm not too worried about that stuff. I didn't really understand the very strong Calvinists, right? So there was a very, is that right? Calvinists, very strong Calvinism. So strong Calvinism, right? Very strong. And they said, We're going to teach you today. That God hates sins. Do you know that God hates sins? Me and my mate, I mean, we've grown up. What did you learn? Well, I've been in kids' college, kids' school, right? Yeah? Okay? For God so loved the world. It's the first verse I learned. Right? No, that can't be true. And then they started going through all the prophets. Psalms. God hates. God abhors. God despises. God casts down. You cannot tolerate sins. The wicked, evil doers. Who's heard that? You read that stuff? Like, Whoa, this is a bit weird. Well, what do you think the Pharisees got their intent from? What did Jesus say to them? He said, Go, I wish you knew this. Go, that I prefer mercy rather than. What's he saying? Well, the rabbis, rabbis are saying, hey, you know, we've read these verses, they are actually strong Calvinists. God hates sinners. Why 
Does your rabbi sit and eat and drink with sinners? Who's heard the term God hates sin but loves a sinner? Who's the, do you know where we get that theology from? Looking at the life of Christ. It doesn't say that in the Old Testament that God hates sin but loves a sinner. No, David thought God just hates sinners. He wrote it in the Psalms. Is it wrong? Well, he's on his way to true north. Here God spoke to us through the prophets, right? But the life of Jesus is radically different, right? What did he say? I said, I didn't come. He said to the Pharisees, I didn't come for for the healthy. I came for the... He was known as a friend of... Whoa. Now, who knows that in the church today, there is still a theology that God hates sinners. That's just one theology that is not looked at through the lens of Christ. Do you know you can attribute a lot of different perspectives and it can be quite challenging if you don't, haven't decided that the true north of the character of God has been completely revealed in Christ. Uh, this is why I think this message is so powerful. Because if you haven't settled that in your heart, then you're going to be trying to find that north still. And going, well, I don't know, Jesus is just another option of the nature of God. He's just one of the many forms of the revelation of God. But in Hebrew it says, actually, actually, it's been done. The exact imprint of the nature of God wasn't attributed to the prophets, it was attributed to the person of Christ. What's he saying? He says, Christ trumps whatever else you've experienced before. I don't care what your experience says, I don't care what your teachers have told you. Rabbis, you know, he's writing to the Hebrews where they spent their time as young boys, they've all sat in synagogue, right? They've been trained under Torah. They could have been from all the different sects of Judaism, all whole swing. You know, the Essenes, where it's all about the heart. Jesus was very close to the Essenes in his expression of the Torah. The Pharisees, it was all about what you do. You know, just make it look big, put it on display, read the writings of Psalm of David. He spoke about how good he was all the time, spoke about how he was good and the evildoers were wicked. You know, they took on that lifestyle. The Sadducees were like, oh, well, it's more about sort of, you know, taking on a bit of expressions and blending it together. We have to live in this world. Jesus said, um, the writer of Hebrews is saying, actually, Jesus is true. And I shared that with this couple on the bus. You know, in the past, I've, I've tried to explain it in different ways. We don't know what God's like. And I'm like, yeah, but I get that. It's difficult. You know, they're like, he says this in the Old Testament, and yeah, yes, actually. No. I said to me, the nature of God is found in the person of Jesus. And we have four gospels written about his life. It's settled. It's settled. There's a couple of things, a couple of uh, truths that I had to deal with when I settled that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. The only thing I had to settle was that Jesus did condemn. He asked him to condemn. There was condemnation that came to condemn Jerusalem. He spoke very strongly against the Pharisees. Right? He rebuked them. He stood for truth. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, that he, was, he carried a spirit of mercy and judgment. You know, talking about that, I was so scared growing up about um, grieving, what's it called? Grieving uh, it? Is it nice? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you know? And you know, I read the Bible, you know, Jesus said, if anyone denies me before man, I'll deny, deny them before my Father, right? So we hear these teachings, it's, it's very true. But what do we see happen when Peter, one of his closest and last disciples, denies him? What is the nature of God revealed in that time? Mercy. What was it do? He chases him down. 
He leaves where he was, I don't know how he gets there, probably travels through time, uh, travels, I don't know, like walks, I don't know, he's walking through walks. Then he caught an angel, I don't know. <laughs> but he gets his way, he makes his way back to Galilee. Back to where he met Peter. Peter had done a full circle, thrown his faith in. It was like, enough is enough. I really, you know, I said I was, there, I was going to die for you and I couldn't do that. Jesus finds him back where he started. Man, I work for some crazy kids, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. I work for some kids that can be quite disappointing at times. I mean, the disappointing like you wake up at 5 o'clock, you organise that they're going to be there for work, you've got 20 cubits of soil to move, and you realise that it's just going to be you and your friends, and there's no other kids rocking up to move that. Right? You get a message at 3 o'clock, hey, my back hurts, I'm not going to be turning up tomorrow. And then I could like pull some scripture now that would bring the judgment of God, you know? And I, sometimes I just want to be like, I just want to call me on fire and bring something, you know? The sons of thunder are here to be watching the chosen, you know? Just wants to pull it down, you know? I can see it, let's do Elijah stuff right here, right now. <laughs> guess what? I gave my rights up to be a follower and disciple of Jesus, not Elijah. I'm not saying that that wasn't a God, but we have a true north now. I've aligned myself with the life of Christ. Uh, met this kid, this kid that was supposed to turn up for work yesterday, and um, I was angry. I hunted him down, he was like, Having a bomb with his mates last night, yeah. warehouse that they broke into. Uh, I met him out there in the rain, raining, this dark alley for kids. And, you know, so often we can just throw the towel in on people. Just go, that's it, I'm never going to call you again. But Jesus, he hunted out Peter, and I was like, I've got to go find this kid. And I let him know. Let him know that he disappointed me. Absolutely. In his own language. <laughs> English should never be repeated in the shouts. Spoke the spoke the word spoke this the was it the anyway. But then I told him, hey, I love you, and I reaffirmed my love for him. I reaffirmed his destiny. I reaffirmed his calling his life and his kid. I tell you, like, and God does that to us over and over again. And I didn't know that was the nature of God, so most of my life was coming to him in repentance, feeling so bad about myself. Feeling that I could only really, I would only allow myself to encounter his presence once I wept tears. So I just felt so unworthy of all his presence. And I saw this kid just come out and just off his face, but so empty, so broken. This kid had no father. His father is empty. His father is an awful father to him, and his, his mom did horrible things. And his stepdad hung himself two, two years ago, and they had to cut him down. Like, this, this kid. Man, who knows that we could just judgment, right? Sit around a group at university and just talk about how much God hates sinners. Or we can just take on the life of Christ and pursue it at the cost of yourself. And another thing, here's another great one. It says that every single person who came to Jesus, not one of them did he turn away. Not one of them did he say that's not the Father's will or the Father's time or the Father's place. What did Jesus come to do? He was the exact imprint of the nature of God. He revealed God's heart. Never do we read a theology that ever says what Jesus says actually it's not his time. We read about it in, the, the, um, in, I think it's Luke 3. The leper comes to Jesus. He says, if it's your will, heal me. That's a great theology about that. Well, if it's the will of God, you'll get healed. Now, maybe it's not God's will or God's time. 
It wasn't your will. He wants to put you through this pain and hardship. Teach you a couple of lessons. Jesus says to me, I will. He's not speaking on his own, he's not speaking just on, on his own behalf, he's speaking on the behalf of the Father as the radiance of God's glory on earth, and he's speaking, I will. Who knows that that changes it when you start to lay hands on your sin, when you know the will of the Father. Changes your faith when you say, whoa, okay. I don't have to jump through a hundred hoops, maybe there's sin, or maybe it's not his will at the right time, you know. Well, I can pray a prayer of faith now, because I know his will. I mean, what's the, what's the difference between healing, what does Jesus say, what's the difference between healing and non-healing? This might sound hard, and, you know, we've lost people, I've laid hands on dead people, I've, we've experienced it. And I want to put my hand up and say, I haven't reached it yet, I haven't. I'm not, you know, I sit there with, with Paul in Philippians, not saying that I have attained it yet. But what I do, letting go, pressing forward. And I'm like, what? What does he say? That I might know Christ, experiencing his sufferings, right? And his power, right? So there's a journey we're on, but I now know the will of God, and for a long time I thought like, I remember lying in bed with my face puffed up, right? With an infection in my face, calling out to God for healing, thinking maybe I've done some sin, and condemnation reigning in my mind, trying to work out what I need to repent of, so I can get healed. It took me such a long time to do that, that it's like four, it's like finally by the fourth day I decided to go to the hospital. Right? <laughs> face fully puffed up, it took me straight to an emergency, uh, I was in there for three days with a, like a golden staff infection in my face. You know, I could have just prayed for it and gone straight to the hospital. Because I knew the will of God was to heal me. It wasn't some curse, right, that I needed to walk through some sin. Whether through him or doctors, his, his desire for me is health. But God pursues me even when I stuff up. He doesn't distance himself from me. And he doesn't distance himself from others. It's a great one. In Jesus, Jesus does not get infected by sin. That means that I can go anywhere God calls me to, and I don't need to worry about becoming infected by sin. I grew up believing that if I drank alcohol, I was like falling away from God. I don't know what your opinion is on that. And, and oh, you know, yeah, we know. I'm not saying you're going to get drunk, but that was my point of view. I thought if I went to a party of non Christians, listened to non Christian music, that God would judge me on that. Instead of realizing that He was the opposite, He invaded spaces because I knew the nature of God and I could draw close to Him and manifest in His love. What's my other great ones? Jesus hated religion with a passion. Hated it. He hated self-righteousness. Wow. That changes everything. It's not about how good I try anymore. It's actually Christ in me, the hope of glory. Whoa. I wish I knew that beforehand because, you know, like... I tried so hard to be something that he could only be. There's heaps of different things, people. There's, there's so many different things we go through life. And I see right now with everything that's happening in the governments and everything that's happening in our country, I have a person to look into. And I might get slammed on every side of people who have so many opinions, but I can hold on to the person of Christ. Because I said I'm going to follow you. I want to tell you that the invitation to be a disciple of Jesus comes with a radical cost. But following Jesus means following God. I think often forget that this 
whole born-again life is about letting go and pursuing. What you just read this morning. Pressing on. If you just settled into like being born again, and it's like your life is settled and not being challenged by the life of Christ, which is the true north of God. Your life has not been transformed and being challenged because Jesus was such a challenging guy and is, then maybe you've let go of following Christ. He'll transform you. He'll redeem you. But it always comes. It'll always come with a cost. Not a single person that, that Jesus called them to follow him, he, he said, I oh, mean, it's alright, it won't cost you anything. Mate, it's not going to cost you anything. You go to look at it. Cost everyone else, but mate, it's alright. You go to It'll cost us everything. It'll come with a cost, but it's the only foundation on which we can base our lives that will, that will survive and thrive, I believe, in this world. Amen. And I hope that's encouraging to you. Jesus is the 100% absolute, pure, unadulterated example of the radiance of God's glory. Wow. So whatever his life looks like is your right. Your invitation. Amen. And, you know, when we receive this as well, I have, I'll maybe we'll skip the Musicians are. I just felt like this is a season not just to know what we're called to, but actually just to be reminded of who God is. And there may be lies um, in your mind when you look at the Father and it doesn't look like the person of Christ. If it doesn't, when you look and go to the Father, if it doesn't look like the person of Jesus, and that's a lie. And you need to take that and you need to let go of that. Because those lies become wedges between you and the Father. And they stop us from boldly entering, entering in to the throne room of grace. It's through the Son. I love that through the Son. Because the Son reveals the Father that we can boldly enter in. If we're coming through the law, or we're coming through, I don't know, something else, our experience, it will alter our encounter and our ability to enter into the throne of the cross. The approachability of God. He's kind, He's just, He's firm, He's unmoving, He's unafraid. Read the words about that. Read the words with the lens of Christ. 